Do y'all remember when it was really hot? Remember when it was so hot, you said, if it ever gets cold again, I'm not going to complain. How many of y'all made it? <laughs> How many did you say this week, man, I can't wait for it to be hot again? You'll regret that. It will be hot again. For y'all that are new to Texas, we have a saying, if you don't like the weather, just wait a little while. It will change. And it may change in the same day. I remember a day we had in Lubbock many, many years ago. is amazing. Thunderstorm, it rained mud. You've never seen mud fall like that. It's quite interesting. And uh, then it hailed, and then it snowed about a foot. Wonderful days in Texas. Yep, just think about what it'd be like if you were out here 150 years ago and you had cows and you, you, you turned cold like this and all you had was a little blanket. You'd find you a cave somewhere, build your fire in there, right? And you'd say, man, I wish I had direct TV. <laughs> they didn't know. They just, I don't know what they did. I guess they played cards or just watch the cows or whatever they did. All right, the book of Ruth is what we're going to study for the next couple of weeks, four weeks, four chapters. Great story. It's a story that points us towards Jesus. It's a story that points us towards the importance of loving. It points us towards persevering. It points us towards obedience. And it's a great story. It took place in the days of the judges. And if you would, very quickly, look over in Judges chapter 21, the last verse of the whole book of Judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So that is, is the way it was in Israel the day of Judges. People did whatever they wanted to do. They did what was right in their own eyes. And so that's the setting for the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and uh, the way people were. They just did what was right in their own eyes. So let's look at the first five verses in the book of Ruth chapter 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elamech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Emelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. And about 10 years later, both Malan and Killian died. This left Naomi alone 
without her two sons or a husband. We see in verses 1 through 5 the cost that is paid when we are disobedient. There's a couple things that we can point out very quickly. First of all, they did what was right in their own eyes. That's how people operated in those days. That's what the Scripture says. We'll see in the rest of the book that they operated, they did what was right in their own eyes, and that's what got them in this situation. He should not have taken his family to Moab. They were instructed not to live in Moab. They were instructed to stay together and, and to be in the Holy Land. They were instructed to, to uh, not intermix with other faiths. They were not to mix and become unequally yoked with the pluralism of the Moabites. And the Moabites worshipped many gods. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, were to stay faithful to Yahweh, one God, not many. And so he, he took his family, he left. There's no indication that he sought the Lord at all. There's no indication here in this story that this was led by the Lord. It looks like he just took matters into his own hands. Be careful. Great lesson from this story. You're going to see over and over, be careful that you don't take matters into your own hands. Because when you take matters into your own hands, you can experience the discipline of the Lord. And we will see in this chapter here that Naomi believed that her husband dying and her two sons dying was the discipline of the Lord. It's because they had disobeyed God. The cost of disobedience is tremendous. And it's still the same today. Now, there's no question that we struggle today with pointing to bad circumstances, difficult circumstances, and saying that's a result of our disobedience. Today, in most Christian lives, in, in most understandings of the way things are, we don't point to a connection between our disobedience and the Lord's discipline. We don't connect illness. We don't connect, connect financial problems. We don't connect relational problems, marital issues. We don't connect the dots there very well today, and, and we, we only want to connect the dots with a being lopsided in the area of God's love and God's grace. But we need to be careful with that, and there needs to be a balance. Now, we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we also know there is discipline for us who are in Christ. And, and that's what we see here early on in this story. They, they disobeyed God. They left Israel, and they married foreign women, foreign ladies. They were not to do that. It's not that they were Moabites. It's, it's that they were unequally yoked. It's, that, it's not that they were evil in themselves. It's the fact that they worshiped all kinds of gods, and they weren't faithful to Yahweh, and there is initial problems with that, and there is ongoing problems with that. There's always going to be problems with that. That's why Paul told us not to be unequally yoked. We are not to be unequally yoked. 
Don't marry someone that's not a born-again believer. Don't marry someone that doesn't share your values. Doesn't matter how wonderful they are, how funny they are, how pretty they are. It doesn't matter any of that. What matters is, are you equally yoked with them? That's really important in Scripture. And if you, if you marry unequally and you're unequally yoked, there'll be problems then, there'll be problems later. You've got to be careful of that. Now, is there life after disobedience? Absolutely. For sure. Is there grace after disobedience? Yes. Is there love after disobedience? Absolutely. But there are definitely consequences. And, and if you deem, if you think that your present circumstances is a result of your disobedience, then repent. Repent and turn to the Lord. That's what we do. And so have a good balance between the love of God, the grace of God, which is definitely in place, and also the discipline that God will bring and the judgment that God will bring. Look in Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, verses 16, 17, and 18. I mean 16 and 17. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Israel did not listen to the judges but prostituting themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. And so that's the context, that's the, the foundation of the story of Ruth, the story of Naomi and the rest of the players in the story. Verse 6 through 15. Then Naomi, mother-in-law, okay? Naomi, the mom. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So there we have a connection between good crops from the Lord, famine from the Lord. Now, did you get caught up with this, and you may discuss this at lunchtime today. Does the Lord send calamity? Or does he allow calamity to come? From our viewpoint, from our perspective, it really doesn't matter. The response is both repentance. The, the response of, that we should have is both return to the ways of our Lord, always. Okay? Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Now, that's a difficult road. It's a difficult road. Walking to Moab was downhill for most of the way. Walking back up to Bethlehem is going to be uphill, and it's a treacherous way. It's a difficult path that she's on. Oftentimes, the road to repentance, the road to right relationship with the Lord, the road to getting things right again, the road to healed relationships, the road to a, a, a holiness and an, a heart and a mind that is focused solely on the Lord is a difficult, difficult journey. We can... We can disobey and get messed up a lot quicker 
then it seems like we obey and get healed. There is definitely a process that takes place. But she sets out. She's going to head back home because the Lord's blessed Bethlehem with good crops again. They can eat. They can eat. With Verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, that's pretty interesting to me there in verse 8, but on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. It was along the way. It wasn't initially. It doesn't say how far they got. Maybe it was just a few, you know, kilometers down the road. Maybe it was just a little ways. Maybe it was a long journey they'd gone. But somewhere, you know, step by step, Naomi is considering everything. She's taking it all in. She's thinking about where she's taking these two gals. I'm sure she looks back and go, man, they're really different than our people. Are they going to fit in? Are they going to be able to handle it? Is, is our ways, is it going to be okay for them? And, and she's, she's having a great deal of love for her two daughter-in-laws. And, and she says, go back to your moms and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. It's been a great journey, girls. I love y'all. I'm thankful that you have loved me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. I've been thinking about you girls. I love y'all and man, I want the best for you. Do, do you know that mother-in-laws can love daughter-in-laws like that? Even your husband's mom can love you like that. It can be done. It happened at least once. We got it right here. Right? She loved these girls. She cared for these girls. She literally took them in as her own. And that's what we see happening here. Man, I want y'all to get married again. I want y'all to be happy again. I I want you to be secure again. Then, then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Man, there was love. They, they're grieving that they're not going to see each other probably again. And they say, no, we want to go with you to your people. Man, what a, what a relationship Naomi had with her daughter-in-law, her daughter-in-laws. Love. This is what love does, doesn't it? You can love people who are really different than you are. You can love people that steal your son from you. You can love them. You can love that girl. You can love that son, new son that you've got in their ways, in their difficulties, in, the, in the, their weirdness. You can love them. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? How old are these girls? Well, in their 20s, maybe. You know, the 10 years have gone by. How old were they married? Maybe probably 14-ish in that day, probably. I mean, we don't know. But she's working the math here. She's thinking, even I get married tonight and I get pregnant tonight, you know, nine months go by. It's going to take them a while to get married in age. Uh, would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? 
I mean, that's not a good project. That's not a good plan. No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She recognized that the loss of her husband and her two boys, the famine, she recognized it was because of disobedience. Another place that we see that here. No, no, no. The Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And so again, now this is really something else, isn't it? Out there on the road, again, they just come to pieces. And again, they weep together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Nothing against Orpah, but she's considered the situation. She's thought about it. She's thought she loves Naomi. There's nothing, you know, wrong there in that situation. But she, with free will, chooses to go back home, but not Ruth. Look, Naomi said her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. You should do the same. We can learn from this portion of Scripture here the value of love, the power of love. Oftentimes, a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship, a mother-in-law, son-in-law relationship, dad-in-law, son-in-law, dad-in-law, mother-in-law, all those kind of things, the relationship is built on guilt. You never come see us. Not a good idea. You never come see us. Manipulation, control, right? Control, you know, but not with Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. It was love. Love says you can make up your own mind. Love says you don't have to do what I want you to do. Love says here are the options I'm giving you. I'm just weighing all this and if y'all want to go back, go on. If you want to go forward, go on. But, but I just want what's best for you. Love communicates how things really are. And that's what Naomi does. And so you can see here the value of love, even with a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. All right, we also have here in verses 16 through 18 a wonderful picture of conversion, spiritual conversion from not trusting the Lord to trusting the Lord, being born again. It says in 16, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. In those famous words, you, some of you might even have a little plaque in your house, a little picture of some kind. Wherever you go, I will go. Let that sink in for a moment. Ruth says, don't have a lot of time to think about this. I mean, it's just kind of, she's going to Bethlehem, and then along the way, Naomi stops and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we making the right decision here? I love you girls. Why don't you all just go on back to your families? And Orpah does, and Ruth goes, with not really much time to think about this, she, she decides not to. And she says, please don't ask me to leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. 
she has switched from worshiping gods to now she's declaring profession of faith. This is her getting baptized. This is her acknowledging to the world that I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm one of his children. I, I, I receive him. I accept him. He's my Lord, my Savior. I'm all his. I turn my life over to him. Though none go with me, I still will follow. That's what she's saying here. She says, wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your home will be my home. And, and listen to what she says here. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. You may have heard that in some weddings. You're, wherever you live, I'll live. If I allow anything but death to separate us, Ruth means business. Ruth is sold out. There's no question about Ruth's devotion to Naomi, Naomi's people, and the Lord of Naomi. That's the way salvation ought to be. That's the way it ought to be for all of us. That's the kind of picture that it should be, that when we come to the Lord, we come to the Lord. We are 100% the Lord's. We, we profess, we confess, we, we turn over to him. So, a good picture of conversion. And as we move along, verses 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. In this day and time, just picture in your mind, not a bustling city like Bethlehem is today, but a real small little spot. Insignificant. Nothing really to it. Just happens to be the birthplace of David and the birthplace of Jesus, which we will discuss down the road here. But everybody's excited. Everybody had a chance to be excited because everybody heard probably before the end of the day that Naomi is home. She is a Bethlehemer. She'd been there. She lived there. Everybody knew her and her family, and they're all excited that they have arrived. But look what Naomi says in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. The name Naomi means pleasantness. That's what it means in Hebrew. Pleasant old gal. You name your child Naomi it, if, it, for that child if you saw that that child was pleasant or you, did, you wanted that child to be pleasant. She says, don't call me Naomi. She responded, instead, call me Mara. You might as well change my name, she says. Mara means bitterness. And so it's the exact opposite of Naomi. My life has been bitter. I have experienced bitterness. Don't call me Naomi. I think the reason why she says don't call me Naomi is because it was hard for her to hear because she remembered a time when she had reason to be pleasant, reason to be happy, reason to be content, reason to, to have joy. But now she doesn't have that. Now she doesn't got it. 
It's been bitter. She, they moved because of the famine. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And now she's not with one of her daughter-in-laws. And so she saw it as just bitterness. And she said, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. And so once again, she connects the dots between the discipline of the Lord and disobedience. She saw the connection there. And she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. And so once again, she makes that connection. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by their daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, now here's what I think you can learn from this picture of Naomi at this spot in her life. Naomi balanced well between faith and circumstances. Now, she states, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, because, man, I've been dealt a hard blow from the Lord, and that blow is bitterness. My life is bitter. But she didn't allow that bitterness to overwhelm her or to override her faith. And that's how we need to be. That's, how, that's what the Scripture says about our ability to handle circumstances through the Lord. We can have the strength of the Lord and handle problems and handle difficulties, even those difficulties that come from our disobedience. You can be happy, and there's nothing to be happy about in the Lord. Do you know that? You can have joy, and there's nothing to have joy in other than the Lord. And, and that's how she found herself, but, but her faith overwhelm the circumstances rather than the circumstances overwhelming her faith. Good lesson for all of us there, isn't it? Count your blessings. You may not be able to count many of them from the worldly point of view, but you count your blessings you have with God. Through Christ, we have salvation. We have forgiveness. We, we have his blessings. We have his promises. And even though we've experienced or are experiencing a life that we would say is bitter, we can rejoice in God. And that's what I see here from Naomi at this point. I mean, even though her life is bitter, she moved forward. She didn't give up. She's not protesting. She's not blaming God, which is often happens, doesn't it, when things are really rough for us? We blame God. Nope. She doesn't do anything. She moves forward. Some lessons that I think you can draw from the first chapter. If you believe your circumstances are sour and leaving you bitter, are connected to God's discipline, repent. Acknowledge your sin to God. Acknowledge the decision you have made, the disobedience that you have committed and receive that he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of all of our sins when we confess them to him. If you're struggling with the balance between joy and bitterness, 
faith in bitterness, man, reappropriate that. Position yourself that more faith in the circumstances. Trust in God. Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's a valuable lesson for us in life. Faith over bitterness. Faith over bitterness. And Naomi, regardless of what was going on, she loved the people closest to her. She loved those daughter-in-laws. It's evident, isn't it? I'm sure it was a hard decision for Orpah to go back home. Might be difficult, wasn't it? I'm sure Ruth, it was a hard decision for her as well. There's no record that she saw her kinfolk again. But Naomi's love for her had touched her to that core that she wanted her mother-in-law's God to be her God by what she saw in the life of Naomi. And so regardless of what is going on in your life, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of how bitter your circumstances may be, live the life in the Lord that can be this powerful testimony that Naomi had. It very well could be that one of the reasons that we are going through difficult times is for testimony, is for the testimony of the Lord at work in our lives. Let's pray together. Help us to learn from the book of Ruth. Lord, help us to learn from Naomi through Boaz. And God, most of all, we just pray that you will help us to see how wonderful you are and how in hard times you discipline for your purpose, for our benefit, and for your glory. And I just pray, Lord, that each of us will, will respond appropriately to what your Spirit is leading us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.